welcome to the How Did That Work Out podcast, where we share, explore, as well as inspect internally and externally, a variety of our life situations as well as others, all for the purpose of answering, how did that work out? I'm your host, Mike J. And I'm your host, Graham. Let's get into this. Episode, new week, new episode. Yep, getting our act together. <laughs> quite, quite the morning, uh, I will say, with uh, some technical difficulties. Just so our listeners are aware that we're doing this very bare bone. We're doing this uh, with uh, what we have lying around, so we're trying to get the best quality sound possible with the devices that we have. And when one of those devices leaves the scene, like my laptop did, then uh, we have to scramble and find other ways to make it happen. So. That's what we were doing this morning, kind of scrambling around, trying to get the audio just right amidst uh, a missing device. So here we are. How you doing, buddy? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Um, we did it, right? In the old days, it would take three hours to figure this out. But we, we've got such a arsenal of uh, uh, peripherals and, and just legacy stuff. You can cobble it together real fast, like some kind of, like I don't know, ship crew scrambling to patch a hole in the boat or something. <laughs> yeah, so ingenuity, I would say, um, always rules the day. And, uh, but, uh, you know, again, starting this as a bare bones operation, we, you know, we, we want to start from humble beginnings. Um, if there's value in this show, we're going to provide opportunities to contribute uh, to the show, perhaps financially, so that uh, we can improve the production quality of this show uh, for the benefit of all of you. And, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. For now, we're going to kind of stick with what works. Uh, I've got a new laptop, hopefully on the way pretty soon. Um, thankfully, I had a backup. I uh, definitely had a spare laying around because, you know, I'm not that kind of a geek. So got backups for the backups. There it is, man, that redundancy. Yeah, you know, we talk about things we like. We talk about things we're interested in. We also talk about things that make us a little uncomfortable. So hopefully anyone listening, if it interests you, keep on listening. <laughs> Definitely subscribe. Even send us anything that you uh, might want us to talk about on the air uh, as far as any challenges that you're going through, as well as perhaps a, a decision that you made uh, that turned out really good or didn't turn out so good and you got a, a learning experience from that. Uh, I'd love to hear that uh, over at advice at hdtwo.show. That's A-D-V-I-C-E at H-D-T-W-O dot show, S-H-O-W. All right. Uh, so, Graham, let's, uh, you know, I know we had a really good discussion last week about uh, stoicism. We touched a little bit on on minimalism what else did you uh, maybe have uh, written down there that uh, we could perhaps circle back and, and dive a little deeper on? you have anything there? I do. Before we get into that, I want to something you, you mentioned in, this, in the story of, I think it was the Marcus Aurelius Stoicism story, and his mother's name was Agrippina. Um, is that right? Did I have my facts straight? Uh, no, Agrippina, I think, was Nero's mother. Oh, Nero's mom. So uh, yeah. I have a, I think it was my father's aunt or great aunt. Her name was Agrippina. Really? And 
it's not the kind of name you forget. I think it's Greek in origin. He told me this story about his, his family immigrated to the U.S. for political reasons a long time ago from Russia, right? And she was part of that crew, that original crew. And she was old school. And he said when he was a kid, he's got two younger sisters. He was a kid. He was tormenting one of his sisters, as big brothers do. And uh, his aunt Agrippina comes out and is like, you know, knock that shit off. And he just takes off running. So she pursues and she, cause she's, she's not going to let this slide. You know, she's punitive AF. <laughs> so She's chasing him around outside. She finally gets him inside the house and he decides, well, I'm just going to run around this, this dinner table. This, this old lady can't catch me. He says he takes her, like her hips or her belly and just does one of these giant, like, belly bumps, slams the table against the wall with him pinned between the table and the wall. And she looks at him with the, <laughs> with death in her eyes, uh, crumbles up his shirt with her fist and basically gives him, you know, reads him the riot act. And my dad's 70. He remembers this at 70. <laughs> it made an it made an impression on him, and that's the only impression I have of uh, old great great aunt Agrippina. <laughs> My good, I, you know that's so funny. I wonder if that's how the Greeks do it, right? They'll belly buck a table. You know, growing up in a Hispanic family, you know, we had the moms with the chanclas. <laughs> so yeah, so we, <laughs> whenever we did wrong, that chancla came right off the foot, quick draw, like a like a freaking boomerang. You know, yeah. whop you upside the head like a Chinese from star. Uh, fifty feet. <laughs> <laughs> exactly from 50 feet sometimes you wouldn't even see it coming <laughs> i wonder if there's any kind of like uh preparatory class you know and becoming a mother in uh in hispanic culture where you have to you have to sort of like do this 300 times until you perfect it right <laughs> you have to go through the training and you gotta you know you gotta do the trials in order to pass <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> And yet they swear, yet they all swear they don't, they didn't have a, a handbook or a rule book on raising kids, but yet somehow all the Hispanic moms know about the chancla. <laughs> That's it, man. Um, we, we touched on mentorship a little bit in, a, in the last episode. And man, that's such a, uh, I don't know, diverse topic. I don't think is the right way. To, it's such a rich topic to talk about because it's, it's one of those things, in my mind anyways, it's not binary, you know, it's not like you're being mentored or you're not, or, you know, it's, there's no, there's proven patterns. I mean, there are patterns, but it, it's not explicitly this way or that way. So maybe you want to start with mentorship? I like that idea, uh, Graham. I like that a lot because you're right. There's a lot of layers uh, to that. There's a lot of aspects to it. And as you were saying that, I, you know, what came to mind was that, you know, mentorship kind of comes in, in two flavors. There's an active and there's a passive. Uh, the active mentorship is, is deliberate, right? Where you seek out a mentor or you approach somebody and you say, hey, you know, I, I would love to study what you do. Would you show me what you do, right? And maybe people get together for a set amount of time, uh, whether it's, you know, per day, per week, per month, whatever. And that's very active, but there's also the passive mentorship that basically you study without necessarily engaging that mentor. You're observing the mentor. Uh, you're modeling after a mentor uh, who then basically gives you that 
inspiration. Um, I think uh, musicians quite a bit, you know, they have an influence from certain artists that give them their sound. Uh, to me, that's a, a passive mentorship. But more of an active mentorship is, you know, where you, you shadow somebody and you follow them and you can interact with that mentor to ask other questions. Um, I would say that that both can be equally successful. And, and I've done both. And I would say that a majority of the mentorship that I've taken, you know, been able to succeed from and take advantage of has been passive, where at many times the mentor does not really know they're being a mentor. And yet, just through their daily actions, who they are, uh, the way they present themselves, the way they, they do the thing that I would want to learn to do, uh, just watching them in action and then applying those things uh, for me has really served me well over the years and the decades even. Yeah, that's interesting because what you said dives into the deep hues of the gradient, right? Like as you're talking about mentorship, it, 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 come, it came to my mind like, well, there has to be an awareness of it, you know, the dynamic of the relationship and the awareness. But I guess there's the possibility there's there's well, there has to be awareness on one side, right? <laughs> but there, there doesn't have to be any sort of uh, formal awareness on, on both sides. You're, you're, you're observing and mirroring, mimicking, uh, shaking out what's not working, uh, hopefully adopting what does work. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, and I think the one common thread there, Graham, is the mentee, right? I think the person that wants to learn is the constant here. Just in the sense that, you know, not everybody you approach to be a mentor wants to be your mentor. Um, then you can, you know, uh, switch into passive mode where you just kind of watch them anyway, right? Um, and you may not get that, that you know, full interaction. You may not get the question and answers piece. But sometimes the answers to your questions present themselves on their own. That You don't necessarily have to ask and receive. Sometimes those answers just come by doing and and therefore that leads to experience right so i think that the constant being that the mentee is wanting to learn i think that's the most important piece of mentorship is somebody that wants to learn somebody that is eager to learn and will do anything to learn it so if you approach somebody to be a mentor and they don't want to be your mentor, well, then you go into, into passive mode and you observe. You observe like a hawk. Uh, maybe even take some notes, write some things down, um, you know, reflect at night and in the morning. Uh, so, you know, it's really up to the individual as to how much uh, they're, you know, how, how far are they willing to go in order to uh, receive that mentorship with or without somebody actively being your mentor so in other words that's not a it's not a reason you know to to give up right oh well i you know i approach a gym and he doesn't want to be my mentor so i guess i'm you know stuck in my dead-end job for the rest of my life that that's you saying that that's not the situation necessarily saying that right the the, the situation basically changed for you and you have to change your approach but that doesn't mean you're doomed or that you're destined to always fail or never uh, meant to work yourself up in the world, right? That's kind of a cop-out. But mentorship, I think, goes on on a daily basis, whether we realize it or not. 
you're absolutely right. Awareness is not necessarily a criteria. The willingness to learn, I agree with you a hundred percent because otherwise all is lost. And it, what you just said touches on um, something really key is that, um, and, you know, you hear this all your life growing up is um, you got to know what your goal is, what your desired outcome was. Having Jim as your mentor wasn't your goal, you know, and it, 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 I don't want to minimize it by saying it was a means to an end. It was an approach. It was, and him saying yes or no is contextual to his circumstances at that exact moment, the dynamics of, you know, person A's relationship with said Jim. <laughs> um, but uh, staying focused on your goal, if you want to get out of that thing that you're going to be stuck in for life that you don't like, find, um, you know, find Bob, find Bill, <laughs> go for <laughs> keep, keep trying. Well, that, and that's certainly another avenue, isn't it? So, you know, the answer to the question, you know, hey, you know, will you mentor me? It's not always, you know, asked like that. But the answer to that question then would help determine what path you need to take in order to get to your goal. And, and you're absolutely right. You can't achieve something if you don't know what it is you want to achieve. I mean, I, I think that's perhaps, Graham, the, the issue with goal setting on the whole is we sometimes look at the outcome that we want, uh, the benefit, but we don't really articulate what it is that we want that would get us that benefit. So until you know what you want, you know, wanting to be wealthy, you know, wanting to, you know, live in a huge house with, you know, eight bedrooms or, you know, driving a, an exotic, you know, sports car. Those are, those are the byproducts. Those are the outcomes of achieving a particular goal that enables that. So saying, you know, my new year's resolution is to make more money. Okay. How would you go about doing that? Are you going to, you know, work up in the current job that you're in? work your way up? Are there opportunities for promotion and advancement? Or would you need to switch careers? If so, then what do you need to do to be able to switch those careers? It's not as impossible as, uh, as it sounds. But the thing is, is that you're not going to, you know, there's a Joe Jackson song from the 80s, you know, you're not going to get what you want until you know what you want. And, and sometimes we, we mix the benefits and the outcomes right, of our dreams as being the end, the end state. And, and that's, that's not necessarily the case. The end state is what are you doing that got you that and what are you doing to sustain that? So really, it, those two things, I think, track to the one singular, which should be the goal, which is the, the thing that I am doing or the things that I am doing to enable those outcomes. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I think that uh, the car and, and the stuff, um, those are belt buckles that demonstrate financial success. They themselves don't speak to success. They're just the, sh the showings of or the, the, the rewards of financial success. Um, you want to uh, take a little break and when we come back, talk about it uh, the other way around, kind of a, the top-down version? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. 
If you're interested in learning more about today's topic, be sure to sign up for our email list at hdtwoshow.substack.com. Hey, hey, hey. All right. So we're, we're midway through talking about uh, mentorship. And, uh, you know, so far we've talked about the, the mentee for the most part. Um, and I'll kind of kick off the, the top down version. Uh, reason being is I've been the gracious recipient of a lot of generous mentorship over my life. And it wasn't until, until I was, I don't know, it wasn't until recently that I was able to just kind of play the tape back, you know, the tape of your life that runs through your head. And as you kind of edit stuff to make it <laughs> fit the way you want to remember yourself. Um, and all these little touch points of people who were aware enough to see just needed a little nudge at that moment. Um, it, and I'm sure there's a bunch that I, that I don't remember that I don't acknowledge or appreciate today, but there's a handful that I do. And, very grateful for that. <clears throat> I'm not getting choked up. I, <laughs> something in my voice. Yeah. Well, then why are you crying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hold on. Let me cover the camera. <laughs> fan those tears. Fan those tears. What was it? Yeah. Clutch your pearls. Yeah. So, you know, I, I came up with a, I'd say a curious dad situation. Contentious would be a good word. And, and through that, you come out of the house missing a lot of things that as as a young man you you probably want to be equipped with before you start testing yourself out in the world and uh some of that um was uh kind of given to me in academic situations to start because you know i finished high school went to college and then some of that was given on the job and in just work related stuff and then it just went on for years, you know, and then I, I started to appreciate it and see it. And I felt this civic responsibility, right. To give it back. And, uh, I don't know. I don't think mentors are really good at it. First time out the gate. Gosh, sometime in my thirties, um, I was given the gift of just this beautiful human being. He's my mentor and I was aware of it and I knew it. And so moving forward, he's been my model since. You know, I you you touched on that very very well. Parents are our first mentors, essentially, aren't they? Um, and they can be good mentors, and some can be not so good mentors. In fact, downright bad mentors. <laughs> yeah, hence the relationship dynamic, right? That's why exactly sometimes an uncle's a, a better mentor just because you've got that filter down. You do have that filter down. You also don't have, in many cases, the same the same strictness and rigidity uh, that you have with an uncle. You know, otherwise with an uncle or an aunt, you can kind of be yourself a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, when it comes to parenting, I mean, obviously there is no right way, no wrong way to do it. I think the, um, and I've found out the hard way that even how your children turn out isn't always a reflection of, of you and what you've tried to instill in your children. Uh, they still have free will. And, uh, and I'll probably in a future episode get into that a little bit more as to how I was humbled because I used to firmly believe that, hey, if this guy's an asshole, <laughs> then that's squarely on the parents for not teaching him better. 
but I've been humbled in that, in that, you know, my children, my, my young men have free will, okay, and they don't always choose the best thing that you would have chosen, yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think that's a plague. Have, <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, but and and even when you see it on the on the news, right? You see a very violent crime, uh, and everyone out loud is asking, "Well, where the hell were the parents during all this?" You know, and uh, again, though, it, it's mentorship. So kids do see what you do. Kids listen to what you say. So that's there's both active and passive in that, in the sense that you say, all right, son, I'm going to go teach you how to fish. Let's go fish. Uh, then there's the passive where you, when you watch mom and dad argue, then you're getting, you know, a, a kind of mentorship, not a healthy one, but a kind of mentorship on how, how you think relationships are in their normal state. Uh, so as parents, I think we really do ought to be aware that we are mentoring 24 seven, essentially. And it's a pretty big, you know, responsibility. But one thing my dad told me, and I, you know, I used to think it was kind of a cop out. Um, but one thing my dad would always tell me is, you know, there's no such thing as a bad parent. Okay. Even if they're a drunk, even if uh, they're always gone, if they uh, like to pick fights with everybody around them, there's no such thing as a bad parent. And I, and of course, for dramatic effect, he was waiting for me to ask, well, how can that be? <laughs> right. Just dangling the carrot. Let's go. Yeah. Dangle, you know, okay. Hey, come on, you're on cue. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're, you're up. <laughs> so, okay. I'll bite yeah. dad. You know, how, how can that be? Uh, and he says, well, you know, even the bad parents are just good examples of what not to be. And there is truth in that nugget, right? Um, in that, uh, you know, I have a very good friend of mine that uh, had a, an abusive alcoholic father, and he was determined he wasn't going to be that guy. And he has uh, three beautiful, absolutely gorgeous daughters who are all, you know, they're at various stages, you know, one's in uh, college getting ready to go to law school, the other one is finishing up college. Uh, I want to say to be in social work, and then the youngest is in high school and a and a you know a swimming superstar. Uh, so he was determined not to be that guy, and he made a vow to do it differently. So in that sense, my my dad's little anecdote was was proven true. Yeah, man, that's that's a really um, there's so much in what you just said. Um, back to the mentee goals. Are you running from something or were you running to something? Sometimes it doesn't matter as long as you get there. Like this, this friend of yours, well, it might've started running from and eventually it was, you know, he's running to, uh, it's the classic Disney story. I don't know if I can say Disney's name, <laughs> you know, out of that adverse tragedy, uh, which in his case was his alcoholic abusive father he carves out some, you know, some beautiful destiny for himself. Well, and that's the hero's journey, isn't it? I mean, it's forged from adversity, profound loss. Yeah. I mean, when you lose a, a parent to alcoholism and lose them, meaning not that they've died, but you've lost them to the disease because they will nurture that disease more than they will their relation, their, you know, actual relationships with, with their loved ones. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a parenting approach of, um, you're getting in the way of my drinking time. Mm -hmm. 
exactly or yeah. or or I'm just so angry that you know I I can't feed this addiction I'm going to take it out on you or I'm you know I'm because you're interrupting my pleasure of this addiction you know I'm going to just kick your ass you know <laughs> so it's a good good topic for another episode I'll say yeah exactly definitely definitely but going back to the to the the mentorship thing um I I do want to kind of um go back a little bit and say that when I said the cars and the house are, are a byproduct, sometimes the car or the house is the goal, but it can't be unto itself. You've got to have a way. Well, let me back up and give you an example. I, I remember back in 1991, uh, I had just gotten out of the army, just got back from Desert Storm. And I used to see, you know, brand new Honda Accords on the lot. And there was just something about them that really struck me about their design. It's like, wow, what a what a classic looking car, yet it's very sporty, just looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, had the clear headlights and was just really just a gorgeous car. <laughs> and um, and I remember uh, on my on my wedding night, actually, we, we were, went to a movie and we were walking back and... The, they were all lined up and I'm like, and I, and I told my, my then wife, I said, you know what, we're, we're going to own one of these one day. And she's like, yeah, well, you know, that'd be, that'd be nice, but don't know how we're going to do that. And I'm like, well, you know, neither do I, but I just know that we're going to own one one day. Mm-hmm. And um, lo and behold, within a year and a half, maybe less, I was driving, you know, a brand new Honda Accord. <laughs> you know, I've said that, you know, I've, would want, you know, when I look at houses, I look for certain features like, oh, wow, I really want a house with that particular mm-hmm. feature. I've, I've had two of them now with that particular feature. And it doesn't just come automatic, I don't think. I think that it does take a little bit of, of mental training and discipline to say that if that is my goal, then the decisions that I'm going to make, whether I realize it or not, are going to help to get me there. So, you know, the the decisions that I would make with my finances or the decisions I would make with the jobs I would take would either get me closer or further from that goal. But again, you have to know what you want. I can't just say, well, I want a a beautiful luxury car. No, I wanted a Honda Accord. I wanted a a house with, you know, stairs and and a catwalk and, you know, I don't know, and a, a media room and things like that. But unless you get specific you're not going to make the decisions that get you there. So again, specificity, now that I'm talking out loud about it, I think specificity is the key ingredient to this thing, right? And so that's goal setting, sure. And that's achieving goals, sure. But in the mentorship thing, I'd also like to say that I don't believe there's any such thing as a self-made man because we're all you know, mentees to some degree, if, if we are humble enough to say, Hey, I have something to learn. You know, I'm 51 years old. I've been in the IT industry over 30 years and I still learn something new every damn day, every day. Oh yeah. 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 Um, goal setting, lifelong learning, (laughs) <laughs> chronicle my wisdom there yeah. would you graham 
Yes, indeed. I've uh, scribed <laughs> it to the papyrus. Um, but I, again, I, I think that doesn't get talked about enough. You know, reaching goals is sexy, right? It's a great, you know, triumph. It's a great, you know, uh, you know, great story, right, that you got there. But I think that the work that gets you there gets often overlooked because that's not as sexy. Um, but before you do your first thing to get to your goal, you better define that goal and define it as as clearly as you can, not just for yourself, but when you sometimes we share our goals. Right. And if we're and if we're specific, people are going to be like, you really thought about that. Wow. And then they're going to want to help you. The people around you would say, I'd love to help you get to that. What you know, what can I do to help and put it out in the world? Put it out in the world. That's the best way. You know, it makes you both accountable, but it also helps others around you understand where you're coming from. So you're not operating uh, under a veil. People know, you know, why you're working later. People know why you're asking for extra work, not because you're kissing ass, but because, you know, you've got a you've got a specific car you want to buy. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's such a motivator, too, if you're not uh, adept to setting and achieving goals if you say it you know it's a lot of work to go back and unsay it and it's also uh humbling maybe sometimes humiliating or embarrassing to say oh i'm giving up basically i get i'm giving mm-hmm. up so sometimes saying it you're immediately tethered to that goal until you achieve it you've made it real yeah yeah it's no longer a dream right or an idea yeah you've made it real to other people as real as it was to you at that moment. Yeah. I mean, and not to get too cliche, but you know, the difference between a a dream and a goal, right. Is that with a goal, you've got a plan. You're taking action. A dream is you'd love for that to magically appear and you're not going to do anything to, to further that. Right. But that's a dream. Yeah. And it's, it's, yeah, it's tough when you're young too. I found as, as I got older, you know, all the things you hear, break it down into smaller parts, um, set goals, map out how to achieve them. It's, it's tough until you do it. And the willingness to not get it right, right out the gate and, and have, and have a little bit of, um, resilience is super important, right? Like, in, like we, you, if you materialize something like map out the goal, put it on paper, something that's not just in your head, because it's easy to, throw things away, Mm -hmm. I guess, mentally and in the real world. But if you've got it mapped out and you start connecting the dots where I am, where I want to end up, and you start to realize, you know, what it would really take, what each step takes, sometimes your goal becomes a series of milestones that accumulate to a grand goal. And sometimes those milestones themselves can be rewards, you know, because you need to reward yourself. We're human beings. We need to be rewarded for our actions. It's just something we, we want and desire. And, and as you get older, it gets so much easier. You do it repeatedly in your professional life. You do work that's project-based. So you, you have to break it down, set it to timelines, be realistic. And that keeps you moving forward. That's the the sense of accomplishment yeah. you get when you break it down into those milestones. Because that's the fuel. You you well, it's the fuel, but it's also the um, it's also the the compass. If you're achieving those milestones in a way that is uh, 
you know, in a way that is either pleasant for you or at a pace that you're, you're comfortable with, that's great. Keep going. I think a lot of people fall into a mental trap of like, well, you know, if I just keep doing the same thing, I won't get anywhere. Well, achieve the same milestone, but kill it like every time. Do it better. Best yourself. Come on. You want to take a little break? Yeah, let's do it. For more HDTWO content and the latest show updates, like and follow our Facebook page, Instagram account, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at HDTWO Show. Now, back to the show. So, yeah, um, you know, Graham, when it comes to, you know, being a mentor, I think you have to have a confidence in yourself as well. I, I think I hear I heard a lot in the military uh, that the things that I do is job security. I'm not going to share that. That's that's my secret. That's what I took years to learn. And I'm not going to give that away because that's my job security. I heard a lot of that in the military. And that's obviously not a healthy way to look at things. Um, the way I see things as a mentor is that if you are going to mentor, you want to be comfortable and confident in yourself as that mentor, that essentially you're going to be working yourself out of a job. And that really should be the goal, right? Yeah, and you see that approach start in the household, man. Older siblings, boy, some of them, they keep those secrets. They want to make themselves important. <laughs> And, and while it is a good feeling of importance and kind of feel like, wow, nothing, nothing moves around here without me, it also means, though, you can't take vacations. It means you can't take time off. You can't even be out sick without somebody ringing up your phone asking you where this or that is or how do you do this or that because you didn't, you didn't mentor somebody ahead of time to show them how to function when you're not there. So therefore, yeah, you may have achieved your vision of job security, but also everything that comes with it which means you never uh, get time off. You never get to step away or walk away for any amount of time. And that can eventually result in burnout. Well, and you're, and you're starting to delineate between mentorship and just flat out training someone, right? Well, in a, in a way, but if you've, if you've owned something for a long time, yeah, you are kind of training your replacement, but it is also mentorship. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was uh, when I was overseas, uh, my number came up to go on R and R for two weeks, which meant I get to, got to come home and you know visit with my family and my kids and and everything. So, uh, but I was an operations sergeant, and you know we had a very large platoon uh, over. I want to say over 50 soldiers, which for a platoon is rather large. We also had a lot of moving pieces in the sense that uh, we were a combat engineer battalion. So we, we actually um, operated heavy equipment, you know, bulldozers and dump trucks and scrapers and all kinds of stuff. So um, we not only had personnel that we had to make sure we're always, you know, moving on time and on target, but we also had equipment that had to be moving on time and on target as well. And sometimes that equipment you know, would, would deadline, meaning it would be out of service and you had to track everything to bring it back into service, et cetera. Right, right. So a lot of stuff going on. And um, when my number came up, you know, because I had owned the operations space, my my lieutenant and my, my platoon sergeant both came up to me and said, pick anybody you want. Who's going to, you know, who are you going to have replace you? And there was this... Uh, there was this 
awesome guy. He was one rank below me. Um, so I, I didn't necessarily have to pick somebody of the same of the same rank or even a rank above me. I could essentially pick whoever I wanted. So, you know, I said, you know what, this, uh, you know, this, this specialist here, he he would come and hang out after, you know, after he was done for the day. He'd just come and hang out. We'd talk about music or whatever. But he also observed how the office operated because even though most of the troops were done for the day, I still had another many, many hours. I mean, I was working 20 hours a day. So... He'd be done, you know, five o'clock or so, six o'clock. And I had at least until, you know, two in the morning till I was done. So, okay. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I, I chose him because he was the most um, interested, I would say. And he was learned uh, and he really seemed like he wanted to understand what was going on even before there was a need to have him do that. So I decided, you know what, he's the guy. And I spent probably a couple of weeks uh, with him shadowing me, but me also actively mentoring him and showing him, you know, how things, how things go. So I, I left on, on my R&R for two weeks. And naturally, the first couple of days in the back of my head is like, man, I hope everything's going okay. But you can't just call them on the phone and say, hey, y'all doing all right? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you just have to kind of have a lot of faith. They're halfway around the world. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 you know you'll hear about it, but probably not in real time, right? Yeah, not in real time. If something were to go wrong, yeah. Well, and a part of you wonders, is my unit actually going to be there when I get back because something went horribly wrong that they're not even where I thought they were, where I left them. <laughs> right. Like just a little bit of liability, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and after a couple of days, of course, it washes over because you're really, you're really busy enjoying quality time, you know, with your family and your friends and whatnot. But in any case, I came back and, you know, asked around, you know, hey, how did it go? I, I of course, I asked the guy that I, that I trained and mentored and, he says, well, I think it went okay. You'll have to ask uh, the lieutenant and the, and the platoon sergeant, but, uh, you know, I think it went pretty good. And I'm like, okay, great. So I talked to the lieutenant platoon sergeant, and they said, we didn't skip a beat. Nice. Okay. And and that was in a good way, not <laughs> like we don't need you. It was yeah. thank you. Yeah. Okay. We didn't skip a beat because you didn't hold anything back from the guy you were training. And a part of me was okay if, if that meant that I trained him so well that he would basically just replace me because he was doing so well and they didn't want to interrupt yet again the flow, right? They had to interrupt it for me to leave. And now that I've come back, they got to interrupt it again for me to kind of slide back into where I was. So I was good with it either way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or or it could have played out in a in another way, right? Like um, could have untethered you from that role and advanced you in other directions, right? Correct. Correct. And if it would have backslid me, I think I had enough, uh, you know, social capital that I could have made a case that that wouldn't be of in everybody's best interest, you know, to, to slide back and, you know, maybe do something that I, I think would be a, a step lower. But you're right. The, the goal is to work yourself out of a job so that you can move up or move into other interests. You know what? I love the I love where we're at with this right now because it's we we're almost crux finding <laughs> uh to quote one of my favorite podcasters maybe the reason those secrets are kept is because not secrets that we've talked about but the secrets people keep when they want to um 
secure their role is they don't want to move forward. They're fine just where they're at and they don't want anyone else coming in there. That's a real good point. I this maybe there is a fear of success in some. Uh that's that's an excellent that's an excellent path to go down. Um in that I'm kind of experiencing that right now in my current in my current job, my current role is that I'm content where I am. Um, I don't need a corner office. I don't need to be a manager of, you know, 100 people uh, to feel important or successful. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a kind of an army of one. I do have a manager and I don't directly manage teams, but I lead teams. So in my role, I'm a leader, but I don't have direct reports. So I influence, right? right. right? And I also earn respect to the point where people seek direction from me versus it being my duty to give it to them. They voluntarily say, you know, hey, Jay, what do we do here, right? Um, or what do, you, what do you think we ought to do next? And, and I, can, I can guide them because we're all in it together, obviously. But the point being is, is that I don't have to have a title on my business card. I don't have to have a, a role where I'm the tip of a spear of a large team or even a small team for that matter. Uh, and I've made my manager aware that, hey, I'm where I'm at because this is where I want to be. If I wanted to be a director or a vice president with, you know, three decades in, in my current, you know, industry, I could do that. I could very well do that. But I, I choose not to. Yeah, it's and, an important role. It's a pivotal role. And and it it starts to really uh, cast light on the nuances of personal growth, right? Like a pers personal growth uh, in the workplace isn't necessarily um, uh, bigger, an extra zero on your paycheck. And it's not necessarily going from junior to senior to C-level, right? Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's interpersonal skills, you know, you're like, oh, I got to work on that. Or it's, you know, I, I know this about 70%. I want to, I want to know this inside and out and upside down. It's all those little, basically like firming up your foundation so that when the opportunity presents itself, you, you can leap forward, but there's always like, you know, whatever is written under your name on your business card isn't, isn't the only measure of, of success, right? Exactly. That's, that's spot on in the sense that we all, you know, when we hear success, I think a lot of images pop into our head about exotic cars and mansions and, and all of that. But over the years, and again, as I get older, my definition of success is um, can I be in a role that is pivotal that allows me to use my mind and my and my previous skills, but also to learn new things, while also not necessarily bringing more burden to me by way of, of being a people manager. Um, and, I, and I'm not saying leading people is bad. I'm just saying it's not for me at this stage in my life. I don't need that anymore right. to feel successful, right? right? To me, success is I earn a really good living for... Um, you know, kind of being, uh, you know, a knowledge guy that people trust and seek from versus uh, me having to make sure that we've got a team that is always headed upward. And so it's not just me. It's also making, you know, helping others to achieve their best. I can bring out the best in others indirectly 
just as well as I could directly. And I choose to do it indirectly. Right. Yep. Um, yep. So the thing is though, is, you know, and I told my manager though, I said, look, I said, if somebody were to say, you know, Hey Jay, we've got an idea and we think you'd be the perfect guy. I would hear them out. I'm not going to flat out say, well, if I'm leading people, no way. All I'm saying is, is that I'm not actively seeking it. But if I were to be approached, I wouldn't dismiss it wholesale. I would certainly consider it because there may be a scenario I hadn't thought of. And if I just say, well, I'm fine where I am, don't even approach me. Well, that's that's limiting, too. And I don't believe in limiting oneself. Yeah, yeah. I think and that flexibility you're describing, I think, is really important. Um, and it's something we it feels like every episode we talk about. It's the gradients in between. It's not the polar uh, opposite binary yes no on off black white it's yes and right or it's no but or <laughs> maybe however yeah and i also think it's kind of um, i i don't know it and, and nobody has said so i don't know me I, I guess maybe i'm assuming here that there's also a uh, an assurance that you're not trying to take your boss's job i'm happy where i'm at you know if nothing were to come my way you know i'm good so that means I'm not trying to backstab my manager or my manager's manager to get to their their position. I'm not vying for the corner office. I don't have ulterior motives, right? I'm just here to do a really good job and 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 learn and grow still within within you know my realm that that I've been able to create. So I've created kind of like my business within the business, right? So if I do want to grow, I'll grow. But because I'm comfortable, that also kind of puts everyone else around me at ease. Like, well, he's just doing this because he likes to. He's not doing it because, you know, he's trying to take my job. Uh, and alternatively, though, even though I'm comfortable, I don't believe in that job security keep secrets thing because I do love taking time off. You know, I'll take, you know, right. I mean, over the holidays, I took three weeks off um, with no detriment, right? And was I worried that somebody would replace me? Not really, because... I, you know, I kind of have a specialty within the organization and, you know, although I didn't have to train a replacement, um, it just meant that, you know, my function was just paused for the end of the year for the holidays. Right. And then I would just pick up when I came back. Yeah. You're starting to tap into a conversation, um, or the, the essence of a conversation I had with, with somebody that I admire and professionally, um, it's like, what is what do people get when, when you're in the room? What are they, what are they getting when they hire you versus someone else? And that's the thing that only you bring. And some of us don't know what that is. Some of us spend years exploring that because we're, ch we're chasing or refining something else. Some of us kind of were born knowing who we are and, and, and truly understanding our value out the gate, whether it's accurate or not subjective, right? Yeah, no, it is. And, and yet I, I take a lot of pressure, you know, and of course I'm speaking firsthand only because this is my experience is that I also take a lot of pressure off myself. When I mean, when I was younger in my twenties and thirties, I was working my butt off trying to, trying to make my way up that ladder, you know, so that I could hurry up and make the big bucks. And what I found was, is that, um, you know, some places are happy to watch you run yourself into the ground. That doesn't mean they're going to promote you. And that doesn't mean they're going to reward your hard work. It just means <laughs> they're right. just going to keep getting really good work out of you at, you know, at a bargain price. And so there's a balance um, that 
right now I don't have that pressure anymore. So when I'm, you know, done with work, I can pretty much, you know, my time is mine. I don't have to write evaluations and things like that for others. Uh, you know, my time is, is truly mine. And now I almost look at promotion as a detriment in the sense that, um, you know, you're going to give me more work and yeah, you're going to bump my pay, but is the amount of pay that I would get worth it to me in the time I would have to give up in order to perform that new role, right? Uh, so if I'm a people leader, then I would give a disproportionate amount of time to being that good leader that I, that I would be because I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't allow myself to do any less. But then the amount of money I'm getting to compensate for that extra work to me is not e equivalent because I value time so much that if I were to have to give up some of that time that I do value, it w the, the compensation I get I don't think would be enough. So therefore, I'd rather just not do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you've just highlighted, yep, you've just highlighted two of the most precious mm -hmm. resources, one versus the other, right? Time versus money. And if you're if you're having one, you're oftentimes not having the other, unless you, you know, unless you've lined things up differently. Um, yeah, here's a, uh, mm -hmm. and that's a snapshot of right now, right? Like, I think it's important that people understand, okay, yeah, you know who you are, you know your value, you know your kind of how, um, how you affect any ecosystem you're into, good or, good or bad. Funny story, so I borrowed one of our neighbor's road bikes um, f because I was kind of curious, you know, I was like, man, those guys, they move so fast, you know, they've got the thinner tires, the lighter bikes. It was, ama it was amazing, like, like humping it up these hills. It's so light. I mean, it's like 20 pounds. So it's, you're just like, boop, 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 and up the hill you go. On my first day out, I got uh, in the top four slot on one segment. And I, I maxed out at uh, 48 miles an hour Whoa. down one of our hills. <laughs> I was like, all right, I see what that's about. I could, I could see myself doing this. It's a different horse, right? But he, before that, had a bike and that he regrets selling. And it was just one of those funny kind of bittersweetnesses in life is that you, th you think you know what the rest of your life is going to look like. You think you got it all mapped out. You're like, yeah, I'll never use this again. And then you sell it five years later. You regret having sold it. And it's not in your possession anymore. And you're going to spend twice as much to get anything right. close to right. that back. So you, you never know what the future holds. I know that was a long-winded way to bring this back around, but you never know what the future holds, and you need to constantly yes. kind of assess and recalibrate, yes. right? Well, it, you know, yeah. It, whenever, whenever I'm presented with a choice of, hey, you can either, you know, you worked a lot, so you can either uh, get paid overtime, or we can give you the equal amount of time that you that you worked overtime in time off. And I'll always pick the time off. And the reason mm -hmm. is, is you don't get taxed for time off. You get taxed for overtime <laughs> at a higher rate, but you don't get taxed for time off. And since I value at this point in my life, again, I value my time more than money at this point. I would rather take the time off because I can do a lot of things with time off, right? And I can do some things with money, but I feel I can do a lot more worthwhile things with the time off instead. And I don't get taxed for that worthwhile stuff. Okay. You know, <laughs> oh, man. so 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that comfort you have in your role, that's that confidence that I think people gravitate toward uh, when they're looking for somebody that's, you know, trusted source of advice or even potentially to, I don't know, I think people are drawn to it. So it makes, mm-hmm. you know, on the topic of mentorship, I think it makes those bonds a little more likely, you know, you I think there's a sort of sense of ease and, and trust when you see somebody moving confidently through their role. Yeah. And comfortably, uh, you know, I do have opportunities to mentor and I do mentor um, sometimes without being asked <laughs> just because I see somebody's a little junior and I might, you know, I might, I'll even ask permission. Hey, do you mind if I share a little, a little experience with you on this? Maybe might make it easier for you the next time. And they'll be like, sure. You know, I don't, I don't impose myself, right? I don't say, okay, Skippy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> here's how it's going to go down. And I'm going to teach you something. Listen here, kid. Um, I'm going to teach you a thing or two. Yeah. <laughs> you little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it happened to me again in the military. I mean, I was young. I had just come out of my, my technical training and, I thought I knew everything, right? Coming out of my technical training, I graduated, you know, at a very, you know, very high level. And so, you know, I thought I was the shizzle. And um, so there was a, a real world situation at my duty assignment. And there were guys that had been there, you know, three and four years, and they were just about the end of their enlistment. And they were about, you know, to get out. So they'd had, you know, most of their time under their belt already right so they knew real world all i knew was classroom Mm -hmm. and so i kept interjecting trying to show that hey i you know hey i know what i'm doing hey i i belong here you know hey i'm with i'm one of you guys right Right. and and kept saying well did you check this and did you check this and finally one of the you know one of the the older veterans you know older you know 21 but you know when you're 18 years old that's old yeah yeah you're getting up there in years Yeah. So he snapped, he snapped, you know, he just looked at me and he goes, you know what? You might learn a lot more if you just shut up and watch what's going on by the people who know what's going on. Man. And I was like, whoa. And, and that taught me to, you know, observe, listen, you know, and he said, and then he finished it off with, and by the time you get out of here, you might just learn something. And it was like, whoa, I'm okay. Well, okay. That was no <laughs> that it. was no Billy Shakespeare talking to you. <laughs> but I, I, I like that he didn't mince words like he said it what needed to be said, right? He did. He absolutely did. And and although I was taken aback and at first uh, an indignant, you know, in my head, of course, how dare you? <laughs> um when I when I stepped out of that, you know, it was like, well, that does make sense. I need to I need to understand you need to earn your seat at the table, right? You don't just because you've got a certificate in your hand and, hey, you know, look at me. I passed a course or, you know, that doesn't automatically qualify you. You still have to, like I mentioned before, you still have to gain your social capital. Man, you know what it, <laughs> what you just described, I immediately got this uh, no no, no sound, no anything, just two dogs walking, one's little, one's big, the little one's bouncing up and down, like, hey, Spike, hey, you know, and like ankle biting and like, hey, you want to do this? And the big one just finally has it and just looks at the little one and just gives him a bark, you know, like a handles him with just a single bark and then they move on. 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like, you know, you're kind of, you're talking, you're talking away the moment here, you know, instead of enjoying the walk and what's around, you're busy, you know, you're trying to busy it up. And, and uh, there's a lot to be said. So in, in the mentorship that I give others, I, I try to assure them that good things will come their way. It doesn't have to be right away and have that confidence that if you do things right versus doing things fast, um, that you will get a lot further, a lot faster. And it's, it's kind of unconventional when you're younger, right? It's unconventional wisdom. But if you do slow down and you do your best work, even if somebody comes up to you and say, hey, are you going to get done anytime soon? And I've had that before. People, you know, roll up to me and say, you know, hey, you're going to have this done at some point? And it's not like I'm a turtle, right? I'm, I'm doing the best I can as fast as I can. And so kind of in the spirit of that, soldier that put me in my place i'll i'll do it even with people that are you know that if i was consulting or or what have you people paying me money i'm still going to ask the question and i will ask them i'll stop what i'm doing and i'll say did you want it done fast or did you want it done right mm-hmm. yeah and I, and I asked that to a client one time and they were just like i mean you could just see the look of stun on their face because and and the and the the way the person came back was you're absolutely right. I'd rather it be done right. I'm going to leave you alone now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's that. I mean, it's your money. That. I'll do it either way, right? It's your money. I can do it fast or I can do it right. I just figured you wouldn't want me back again, you know, next week. <laughs> yeah, and I think it holds that um, the, the person who does it right is the person who gets a lot more callbacks. Yes. Yeah. For new work rather than fixing your mistakes from before that you should have fixed before because that's what you were getting paid. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. No, I, you know, and again, the, the mentorship, I almost feel like it's some like your duty, right? I do. I feel like it's a duty. If you have an opportunity to mentor somebody, um, somebody who's junior, or maybe even somebody who's experienced, you know, and again, if I'm going to do an active um, mentorship, I'm going to ask permission. Hey, would you mind if I showed you a couple of things that I've learned along the way might make, you know, might make things for you a little bit easier or, I mean, I don't try to sell it that hard. I'm just saying that I'll ask permission if I'm going to actively uh, mentor. But then at the same time, I also understand that what you say and do, even in, in groups, small groups, work teams, what have you, um, it your actions mean more than your words. But sometimes when the words are coming from a place of experience and you come in humbly saying, look, you know, I know there's other ways to tackle this, you know, but here's what I have found historically that works better, but I'm certainly open to other ideas. And then that's how you learn when you open up for other ideas, even though you've been there and done that, you may very well learn something you hadn't done. So I I see it as a duty that if, if you are experienced in something that you look for opportunities to mentor passively or actively, right? I, I think it's our highest calling is to share knowledge with one another. What do you think? I agree, man. A hundred, a hundred percent. It's, it's our civic duty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, I think we've mentioned this, it comes in so many forms. It's, it's an academic nudge. It's, uh, some, some skill sharing in the workplace. It's the method in which you approach this sharing, mm-hmm. right? Like you can, in five minutes, you can give somebody a, a tool they'll use for life right 
uh, and I'm, I'm not talking about the give a man a fish, teach him how to fish. I'm just talking about if you've asked somebody to listen or observe you, the information they take in, it's not just the, th- the singular thing you're showing them. It's the way you approach them. They're like, oh, this is a new, interesting experience. It's the technique in which you executed it because you're good at it. They're going to notice that too. And then they're going to take in, you know, if it had been written on paper with no nuance or personal approach, you know, just like the tech manual, all of that, they're taking in all of that. And hopefully that'll (laughs) stick with them and they'll give it back. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd actually like to add one more thing on top of that, which is when we teach, when we mentor, we also learn probably more than the student. Oh yeah. Good point. Good point. How many times have you been asked to give a, give a, a training or speak on a particular topic? And you're going to research it even though you know it. You're not just going to just show up and be awesome. You're going to prepare. And how much more do you learn from that experience yourself? So if you're showing others how to do the thing, then you're also going to remind yourself what helped you become good at that thing. And also the, the, the spirit of youth of that, of who you're showing which is new to them, they're going to ask questions that you didn't even think you'd get and you didn't even have to answer before. And now you've got to answer like, whoa, okay, I learned something new. I learned another reason why this might be important or why this might be helpful or things like that. Yeah. And the question word being oftentimes why? Why? Exactly. Right. Like whether it's children or, yes. or the junior uh, that you're trying to coach up. Yes. Yes. And that's and, and, and you mentioned children. I think that's the most immediate form of mentorship, right? Whether you're teaching your kids or if you're an uncle, you know, you teach your nephews or nieces how to do things. I, you know, my dad didn't teach me how to tie my shoes. My uncle, his, ne- his, his uh, brother who, you know, he came from, you know, eight brothers and sisters, but the brother who was born right after him taught me how to tie my shoes, you see. And he was an uncle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So... I think that mentorship also, if we look at what we're passing on to our children's rather than just, well, they need to know how to do it so they can do it and I don't have to. I would look at it more like, hey, you know what, I'm going to pass this on to my kids or to my nephew or to my niece because I know how to do it and I'd love for them to learn how to do it right. And I'd love to know that I passed a part of me onto them. So that's how we live. That's, that's our legacy more so than a name on a building, right. Or a, a school named after us. The legacy is what did you really teach those around you and those that you love and those that you don't even know? What did you teach them? Yeah. Um, yeah. Both deliberately, accidentally <laughs> yeah. in, in a single moment or over the course of decades. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Or we can be selfish and have that job security and not share with anybody uh, and look at, you know, look at the world through, you know, that kind of a lens where, you know, nobody, nobody deserves what I know. Um, But I learned everything I know from everything around me. Why would I be stingy with that? You know, I, yeah, you know, I got to give, I, I, that's how I got it. People were giving. And so I want to give back and that's how we do that. Right. Through mentorship. Yeah, man. Yeah, well said. Good stuff. All right. Well, I think that uh, I think that covers uh, the topic of mentorship. I think that was a, a really good topic uh, for you to 
to bring up from, I guess, what that was that from a previous episode. So that was a really good uh, topic here to discuss today. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that it's going to come up again. You know, it's just, Absolutely. it's so woven into whether we realize it or not. It's, it's, it's like the polyester in your clothes. You don't know it's there, but it's woven in between the cotton. <laughs> <laughs> is that Egyptian cotton? And how many thread count is that? So <laughs> yeah, it's in there. <laughs> All right. Well, that about uh, does it for this episode. Uh, really appreciate y'all tuning in. Hope, uh, hope we we're able to share something of value with you and, um, looking forward to doing the same with you next week, but you never know what we're going to talk about. So be sure to, uh, to tune in. <laughs> <laughs> Neither do we. Yeah, this has been a, this has been a good one. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Graham. And, uh, thank you everyone. And we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Bye everyone. Like what you hear today, do Mike, Jay and Graham a favor by leaving them some feedback. They'll do anything for an excellent review. 